Greetings and welcome to another different church podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm being a little ridiculous right now and I'm recording this intro at 1.50 a.m. Sunday night slash Monday morning. Uh, I don't know why. I should be asleep, but I don't know. I kind of want to get this done, get it posted on Monday for you so that I don't have to worry about it. And uh, I know you're waiting for it. You're excited to hear the return of Hannah because she was off last week. It was like her family's first vacation in forever. Um, They took that Sunday off and they took the week off because she was transitioning jobs. She is no longer working at the law firm. She is now officially 100% hours working at different church full time. And that is amazing and awesome and incredible. I'm so jealous. (laughs) I'm going to be bugging her like every day. Like, what'd you do today? What'd you do? What are you working on? What can I help with? Um, I'm just really pumped. I think this is going to be like kind of a catalyst to help us grow more and help us grow together more, which is maybe more important, definitely more important to um, grow together. We, um, We don't have any, you know, visions of becoming a mega church. Uh, but we do have visions of like becoming a really tight faith community and this is going to help out with that a lot. So I just want to say thank you to you, the listener, because, um, you care about what we're doing and because of that, we're able to do it. And, um, if you've ever uh, attended a service or, um, donated or been a part of a service project or anything, uh, just thank you so much for helping this dream come true. Um, We're going to jump into the message here in just a second. Uh, I just want to remind you a couple things. If you want to connect with us, go to diff.church on your phone and uh, fill out the first tab. Let us know how you heard about us. You can sign up for the mailing list. While you're there, let us know if you'd like to volunteer. Um, We could use some help on Sundays, you know, like once a month on the greeting team or whatever. Um, Also, the entire month of June, every Saturday, we are going to be... um, we're going to have a booth at a pride event. And if you would like to come work the booth with us, that would be awesome. Just click on events and you can sign up there or just shoot us an email. Hello at diffchurch.com. The last announcement I have before the message is June is pride month. And we are really excited about that. We're going to be celebrating at church on Sunday in a couple different ways. And the first way is the first week in June, we're going to have a little bit of an extended service and we're going to do a diversity class. If you've ever wanted to learn about communities that are different than you, this is the place to do it. This is a good place to ask questions. Um, It's going to be really cool. It's something we really believe in as a church and we've done it outside of service before, Um, but trying to do one post COVID has just been difficult. So we're doing it during service. It's going to be awesome. Hopefully you can be there. Uh, I can't wait. Okay. So without further ado, we're going to jump into uh, a message today. And if you didn't know, this Sunday was actually Trinity Sunday. I didn't know that was a thing, but I guess we're going to talk about the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. Yay. (laughs) That doesn't sound boring at all, does it? Uh, So we are actually going to the Old Testament, my favorite place to be, and we're going to the book of Isaiah, and we're going to read together, as we usually do, and then discuss. So this is Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, 
I clearly saw the Lord. He was seated on his exalted throne, towering high above me. His long, flowing robe of splendor spread throughout the temple. Standing above him were the angels of flaming fire, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces in reverence. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two wings, they flew. And one called out to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, commander of angel armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the thunderous voice of the fiery angels called the foundations of the thresholds to tremble as the cloud of glory filled the temple. And then I stammered and said, Woe is me, I am destroyed, doomed as a sinful man, for my words are tainted and I live among people who talk the same way. King Yahweh, commander of angel armies, my eyes have gazed upon him. And then out of the smoke, one of the angels' fire flew to me. He had in his hands a burning coal he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, the burning coal from the altar has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is blotted out. And then I heard the Lord saying, whom shall I send to my people? Who will go to represent us? And I spoke up and said, I will be the one. Send me. So this starts out in one of those years. In the year that King Uzziah died. That year. That means nothing to our 21st century years. Uh, but that is the year that things started unraveling for the people of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. Uzziah was the king who ruled Judah for 52 years. He brought Judah to new heights, economic power, financial stability, uh, political influence. Basically, he was fabulous and like had great economic policy, great military policy for many, many years. But he did forget that he was just a human king. He challenged the sacred worship in the temple and he lost. Uh, as mighty as he was, he turned out to be no match for Yahweh and his arrogance led to his death. So if you remember, King David had a unified Israel. There was the north, it was Israel, and there was the south, that was Judah. They were all unified under one king. But then they split into two rival kingdoms. So King Uzziah was the king of Judah, which was in the south. And the year he died was the beginning of the end for Judah. It was the year that the empire of Assyria made its first moves into the northern kingdom in Israel. They captured a huge chunk of that kingdom and like took them out of their homes. They kept coming. They captured more land. They killed more people. They completely destroyed Jerusalem eventually. It was a horrible time for the people of Judah. And it all began the year that King Uzziah died. That year. So life was a mess. Everything that people thought was right and normal was getting turned upside down. The future did not look good. So essentially it was like Pearl Harbor. It was like 2020. Okay, so the entire book of Isaiah is God's message that he's sending Judah. And it's not a very pretty message. So in chapters one through five that immediately precede our passage for today, this is the summary. This is God talking. Okay, so Judah, <laughs> I planted you. I called you to be my people, to be a light to everyone, everywhere. I planted you, I tended you like this beautiful vineyard so that everyone would know who I am, so that everything would be wonderful, so you could share me with everyone, and you blew it. Not just one time. Actually, too many times to count. How many times do you have to blow it for God to be like, I can't count that many? 
So God says, the, cons the consequences of your destructive behavior are coming, and this breaks my heart. Your tree, it's like a metaphor for your nation, your nation, your tree will be cut down by invaders. All that will remain is a stump, and it will be just completely hopeless. That's what it will look like. But don't lose hope entirely. I, God, will remain true to my promise. And eventually, this shoot will come out of the stump. A new spark of life, new life, new branches, new leaves, where everything looked dead and like it was never going to live again. It will live again. It's kind of a harsh message. It was given because the people had completely forgotten who God was, what God had told them to do. And what's worse, they didn't really care at all. This is what Isaiah 1, chapter 1, verses 13 through 18 says. God is talking. Can you imagine God saying this? Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Your new moons, your Sabbaths, your convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. How? God has a lot of being. That's a lot for God to be like, every part of me hates your church services. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread your hands out in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. When you put on your prayer performances, I will not listen. Because you have been tearing people to pieces and your hands are full of blood. Wash. Make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do what's right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like white wool. The people needed to kind of readjust their perspective on what was important to them. And we see this in verses one through four of today's passage. God is seated on the throne, right? God is not contained in this tiny box that is the temple in Jerusalem. It's overflowing the temple. It's bursting out of it. It's uncontainable. God's feet are on the temple like a footstool. This is a picture not like just the majesty of God, but of God's incomparable size. The majestic human building that was the temple could not even contain the hem of God's robe. Isaiah, the book, mentions God's throne room seven times, and Isaiah gets transported into this throne room, and he hears the solemn chanting of the seraphim, and he feels the shaking of the foundations of the temple, and he sees this like blinding rainbow glory of Yahweh in front of him, and he sees an altar and fire and coals, and this overwhelming chorus of praises being sung to God constantly over and over, and the seraphim are flying all around. That's a lot. Now, the seraphim were, they're known as the burning ones. So they're like these fiery custodians of the holiness of God. Um, they were a class of angels stationed around the throne of God. And the word seraph comes from the Hebrew word to burn. Can you just, just imagine this? Picture this in your mind. You're watching six-winged angels on fire flying around. And they're constantly over and over saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Holy, holy, holy. What are they saying? They're saying, this is the true commander in chief of the world. God is not intimidated by the Assyrians or the Babylonians or controlled by the Israelites and what they want. God has got this, but it's not about 
political domination. It's about God's holiness and the mission of God to bring light and love to the world. So this temple in scripture is like the axial point where heaven and earth actually come together. You see this over and over again in scripture. You're just on earth, cool, and there's heaven, which in their mind was up there somewhere. That's where we get that. Heaven's not really up there. I hate to break it to you. (laughs) Um, Because if it was up there, that would mean it would be down there for people on the other side of the globe. So spatially, that doesn't make sense. But in the ancient realm, like it doesn't, they thought of the earth kind of like a dome, and there was this ceiling that was holding back the waters of heaven. And heaven was up there. But in the temple, you could actually access both heaven and earth. They met. And Isaiah gets this really rare privilege of being in God's throne room. He can see from his location into the actual throne room of God. And it's not a very pretty sight for him. Like he instantly just stumbles over himself. He gets speechless. uh, And all he can do is be like, woe is me. I don't know, like, what is the modern equivalent of woe is me? I don't know. (laughs) Dang. (laughs) Woe is me, he says. I'm destroyed, doomed. My words are tainted, and I live among people who are the same. And when coming face to face with God, what Isaiah sees is the sinfulness of humans. That's what Isaiah sees. He's just filled with this dread. He's overwhelmed by the realization of how awful like humanity can be to each other and how, how he has participated in that. I'm destroyed, he says. I'm doomed. That Hebrew word, it can be translated finished, cut off, devastated, destroyed, doomed, undone, silenced, ruined. Silenced. Isaiah was a prophet who made his living from speaking. And yet he says, I am silenced. I am a person with unclean lips. I'm a sinner who I've offended with my words. I've offended other people. I've offended the holiness of God. And he just sees himself as like completely contaminated. Only the sins of his own life, only the sins of other people. He can see no way out from this. He's just devastated. I think that's where we stop. Like, I've heard a lot of sermons on, yeah, we're pretty terrible. You see how Isaiah sees God, and instantly he's like, wow, everything sucks. (laughs) And I am the chief of everything that sucks. Everything's terrible. There's no way out. I'm destroyed. Go forth and have a great week. (laughs) That's where we tend to stop. But, like, if you picture this, he, he sees God. That's his reaction. And above him, these fiery burning angels are flying and circling and flying and singing and guarding the throne room of God. And they're even closer to God than Isaiah was. Isaiah can only see like up like this. He can only see the feet. He can only see the hem of the robe. But the angels can see the glory of God filling the whole earth. The point of this story is not how awful everyone is. The point of this story is to get Isaiah to see what the angels can see, to get Isaiah to see what God can see. He's so trapped, like in his terror, in his sadness, in his woe, in his, he's just, ugh, he's just in this spiral. He can't see the vision of God for what it truly was. He needs help. Every true voice of God must have this revelation of God's glory filling the earth. Why? Because without it, we 
like Isaiah, we tend to only see part of the truth. We tend to focus on how bad we are and our sinfulness and how we've harmed each other and all the wrongs that we've done in our life. And we so easily can say, just like him, I'm destroyed. There's no way out of this. But this is the point. This is what the angels see. What fills the earth is God's glory, not our sinfulness. What fills the earth is God's glory, not harmful things that we have done. No matter how bad things are gotten, no matter how harmful we have actually been to each other, the earth is still at the baseline, not full of our sin. It's full of God's glory. Our sin exists, right? We can't turn a blind eye and say, well, I've never done anything in my life to hurt someone else because that's patently untrue, right? We can say, yes, our sin exists. We are capable of doing these things, but the earth is not full of it. I am not full of it. The earth is instead full of God's glory. And Isaiah just like, this blows his mind. <laughs> because he gets this realization and out of the fire, one of these angels who is on fire <laughs> comes at him with a coal taken from the altar. It says, out of the smoke, one of the angels flew to me. He had in his hands a burning coal he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, the burning coal from the altar has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is blotted out. Instead of the angel agreeing with Isaiah and being like, you're right, you suck, get out. <laughs> you shouldn't be here. I don't know why you're having this vision. God clearly made a mistake letting you into the throne room. I don't know what's happening here. You've got to leave. No, the angel comes to him with a coal. Why? It's a coal because when God judges sin, only coals of fire are left. Because when only the coals are left, that means the sacrifice is finished already. Yes. <laughs> if you're listening on the podcast, someone snapped. It made me very happy. <laughs> the fires were spent. As Shannon said last Sunday, the gift far outweighs the crime. Right? The angel touches Isaiah with this coal, which is a representation of the finished sacrifice. If you read all the sacrificial, like, this is how you sacrifice the animal, and this is, you have to burn it up, like, it has to be completely consumed. The fires have to destroy every part of the animal, and, and all of this stuff over and over in the Old Testament. There isn't any of that left. The only thing that's left is a coal. The representation of the finished sacrifice that has already been done. And Isaiah doesn't even, like, Jesus hasn't even come yet. I know like people get, this is like totally off script. I love the Old Testament. <laughs> people sometimes get a little like, mm, about the Old Testament. God is terrible. God does all these horrible things in the Old Testament. The New Testament God is the one we should talk about because God is so full of grace and so full of love and that's the only God we should talk about. Yeah, but this is in the Old Testament. Isaiah is like, wow, everything sucks. We're dying. There's no hope. They're, like, we're doomed. This is the worst day of my life. Seeing God is the worst day of my life. I can't believe you like, made this happen for me. And then God says it's already taken care of. It's already done. The sacrifice is already finished. And Isaiah suddenly gets this weight lifted off his shoulders. He suddenly becomes free to see what the angels who are flying all above him can see. That God's glory and God's love and God's inclusion is bursting out of the temple. 
this amazing human building that they created to house God. Not only can it not house God, but when God explodes out of it, what explodes is God's glory and love and grace and inclusion and mercy and hope spilling to the entire world. And the angels are just singing the whole time, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And like this passage is used for Trinity Sunday, which it tends to focus on the theological aspects of this Trinity doctrine. If you grew up in church like I did, you maybe heard the, like, the hymn, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. I'm not going to stop singing. <laughs> I'm not Giada. It like echoes this continuing praise of the angels. It's refrained over and over again in scripture, but especially Isaiah. And they use this threefold sanctus, this holy, 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 to worship the three times holy God whom Isaiah has encountered. And like Jewish commentators speak of the threefold repetition as a reference to the way that God manifests God's self in the world. So the holy, holy, holy would be God's holiness is in heaven, in this world, and in the age to come. Heaven, this world, age to come. The way we understand it is we think of the triune God being praised. So God, holy father, holy son, holy spirit or mother. And throughout church history, like this chant, it's heard in liturgy, it's heard in poetry, it's heard in the scriptures, it's heard in our, everything we've done. 50 times Isaiah calls God the Holy One of Israel. The doctrine of the Trinity is basically like our human attempt to explain what we understand God to be. And essentially, this is like a one minute seminary. Essentially, the doctrine says God is one and God is three persons at the same time. Father, Son, Spirit, or Mother. God is one, and God is known to us in three persons, distinguishing God's being as Father, Son, Spirit, or Mother, all of whom are equally God and who are distinctively at work in the world, but still one God that cannot be separated or divided. So three are one, the one is three. God is one God, God is three persons, but one God. How this is possible? I would love to give you an answer. Uh, this is a mystery. <laughs> and yet, somehow, the church has affirmed this like, as a basic belief about God since the Council of Nicaea in 325 CE, so like 2,000 years ago, practically. And we see echoes of it in the Old Testament, the same triune, holy, holy, holy. So Isaiah hears these angels proclaiming God's holiness. You can finally see what angels see. And then, this is what he says. Then I heard the Lord saying, who can I send to my people? Who will go to represent us? And I spoke up and said, I will be the one. Send me. So here's a question. What would you do? If you were in Isaiah's shoes, just standing before the presence of the divine, with Angels on fire flying around your head. Like, what emotions would fill your body? What questions would come up for you? What words would you want to say to the Holy One? 
Like if I'm being honest, I think one of our reactions would probably be fear. <laughs> um, like maybe panic or maybe devastation like Isaiah, like, oh, this is terrible. Like, I, like we, we're so great, right? We wanna believe like, oh, this mystical experience would just be this transformative moment in my life. We would just leap at the opportunity for to be like, oh yes, God, here I am, send me. I think I would be panicking. Um, God calls, that's scary enough. And then you answer and then the real trouble begins. <laughs> but also, like, I think this vision can be really meaningful, especially when we think about that Isaiah had to see what God had to see, but maybe this vision's not resonating with you. Maybe this isn't how you picture God, right? Like, I'm not Isaiah. I'm not living in Isaiah's time. I don't have a picture of a king. <laughs> like, we don't have a king in the United States. We don't have robes filling temples. We don't have, like, we, this pomp and circumstance, we don't really have it. We don't have angels as intermediaries. It's not something we think about. So maybe this doesn't resonate with who I understand God to be right now. So I wonder then, what vision of God, what vision of the divine would we see if we were actually open to seeing it? Like if we set aside some time to settle into our imagination, if we found a quiet place to be still with the Spirit, what vision of God would compel me to prophetic action like Isaiah? What vision of God would compel you to say, I will be the one? Something to think about. Because our visions of the divine, are, they're actually not meant to drive us into this place of fear or question our worthiness and stay there. Visions of God and from God are supposed to be reminders of our belovedness. With belovedness as our starting point, fear becomes just another emotion that we move through on our way to courage. Courage to see God and be moved to action, just like Isaiah. He's filled with fear and he moves through it to action. And maybe like Isaiah at first, we might only be able to see the harm that we've done. But then, but then in our belovedness, we'll find the courage and the conviction to choose the way of liberation, the way of flourishing for ourselves and for the world. May we see that God's glory, not our wrongs, fill the earth. The earth is not full of our sin. The earth is not full of our harmful actions. The earth is full of God's glory bursting into life. So magnificent, so huge. That our biggest, most majestic human building can only contain just the tiniest fraction. We have two more songs. So I invite you to stand as the band sings. And I just want you to ponder that what vision of God centers you in your belovedness? What vision of God would cause you to step forward and say, I will be the one?